Returning to the words of the psalmist, happy are they who observe the decrees of the Lord and seek him with all their heart. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. The quest for happiness is an elusive pursuit. Our economy runs on the illusion that a particular product will bring us happiness. But of course, the premise to all of our perceived needs is our current state of unhappiness. So it's actually, in fact, uh, our unhappiness that makes the happy market go round in which we live. And you add to this cycle the fact that today's national and international political turmoil, which normally is tucked safely beneath the surface of our otherwise entertainment-saturated American life, has now started to boil over the surface and into the forefront of our increasingly anxious cultural mind. And alas, the quest for happiness in 2017 remains as elusive as it's ever been. It is into this chaotic world that the psalmist speaks words of great truth, deep comfort, and divine assurance. Happy are they who observe the decrees of the Lord and seek him with all their heart. Following rules, especially God's rules, doesn't seem like the way to happiness, at least in the eyes of the world. We prefer, generally speaking, to do what we want. In fact, that is precisely what happiness is in the world's eyes, isn't it? Doing whatever it is that we want. But the word of God begs to differ. Happy are they who observe the decrees of the Lord and seek him with all their heart. This single verse summarizes the fulfillment of the old law within the new. The decrees refer to the Old Testament law, the commandments given by God to his people. But Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount teaches that we are not merely called to keep the decrees of the Old Covenant outwardly, but we are called to transcend them by seeking God with our whole heart. Observing the decrees of the Lord, seeking him with our whole heart. To borrow from St. Paul's language to the Corinthians, the old law is like that milk that is fed to young babies. The new covenant, the fulfillment of the law given to us by our Lord, this is like the solid food, the spiritual food given to God's spiritual people. To be clear, these are not two different laws. Uh, as our Lord himself says in the Sermon on the Mount, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. They're all part of the same God's law. It is this perfect fulfillment of the new law that our Lord teaches in today's gospel, which is just one more portion of his great Sermon on the Mount. So he references the old law, saying, Where the old law forbids adultery, the new goes deeper and it prohibits the lustful heart. Because as the church fathers remind us, lust is the mother of adultery. We do not have adultery if we do not first have lustfulness. 
So Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's the old law. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I can imagine most of the men listening to Jesus' sermon on the mount that day probably heard these words and thought, huh. (laughs) Jesus goes on. Where the old law forbids murder, the new goes much deeper, prohibiting even anger itself, because anger is the mother of murder. Without anger, there is no murder. So Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever says, you fool, shall be liable to the hell of fire. I can imagine most of the women listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that day probably thought about all the men in their lives and then thought, Huh. (laughs) The truth is, is that when we are confronted with Jesus' new law, with the full picture of our calling in Christ, we all, men and women equally, fall short. We're instantly confronted with just how far it is that we've fallen. But Jesus in his sermon doesn't just give us examples of what it means to fulfill the new law. He also gives very clear and practical instructions as to how we can do it. So with anger, he says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. He says, make friends quickly with your accuser. Now notice that this example he's using is not one where if we have a problem with someone else, we ought to go and say we're sorry and ask their forgiveness. It's if we know that someone else has a problem with us. If you remember that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. It's easy, isn't it, for us to sit back and say, well, if so-and-so's got a problem with me, That's their problem. If they want to make amends, they can just come on over here and ask me for my forgiveness, and maybe I'll forgive them. Of course, when we hurt someone, we're supposed to apologize and ask forgiveness. This is next-level stuff. I mean, Jesus is essentially saying, if we know that someone is upset with us, we're supposed to initiate the reconciliation. How have I wronged you? What can I do to repair this relationship? It sounds like madness. As I was pondering this passage this week, it occurred to me that this is, in fact, the very thing that God has done, isn't it? By sending his son into the world. We are the ones who have rebelled against God. We are the ones who have the problem with God, not trusting him, not loving him, not obeying him. But who is it that initiates the reconciliation? Not us. It's God who sends his son into the world that he might draw all of us angry and hurting humans back to himself. And as a teachable liturgical moment, this is, by the way, why we have that offering of the peace before we approach the communion for the Holy Eucharist. The peace is not 
simply a, a mini social hour in between the service. It's a liturgical reminder, an outward and visible sign that we are to be in love and charity with one another before approaching the altar of God with the offering of ourselves, our souls and bodies. So Jesus gives us particular ways for us to fulfill this new law. Speaking against the temptation to lust, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The early church is unanimous in its understanding that Jesus is not advocating some form of grotesque self-mutilation, but rather this sharp and dramatic language is a euphemism for how swiftly we are to cut off or cut out those things in our lives or people or places that tempt us in this regard. So he uses this dramatic language to illustrate the severity of the matter. And of swearing, Jesus simply says, don't do it. Here's an idea, tell the truth, always. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. This way you will have no need to swear on or by anything in order to gain another's trust. They will trust you because they know that you are trustworthy. Now, I imagine that most of the folks listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount were thinking, well, this is impossible. And I imagine many modern hearers have thought the same thing. And if you hear these teachings and think that they are impossible to attain, you are in good company. The truth is, they are. That's the whole point of the Christian faith. That's the whole point of the salvation offered to us through our Lord. We cannot attain to it of our own strength or of our own will. Jesus isn't simply upping the ante to try and make life impossibly hard for us. He is revealing the full picture of who he has created us to be to begin with in his image. Not only is it a picture of who we're called to be, but it, it's a picture that shows us how far we've fallen. Bishop N.T. Wright, Anglican bishop, says, Jesus takes the commands of the law and shows how they provide a blueprint for a way of being fully and genuinely and gloriously human. This new way which Jesus has come to pioneer and to make possible, it's not possible without him, it goes deep down into the roots of personality and produces a different pattern of behavior altogether, end quote. This new way is in fact the original way. To live into the fulfillment of God's law is really the process of our sanctification, the process of salvation itself, the process of being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ, into the new Adam. And it is a transformation not just of our actions, which the old law points to, but of our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, a transformation of our bodies, minds, and spirits. Our Lord did not come in the flesh and die on the cross just to fix the appearance of things. He came to transform us, humanity, from the inside out, knowing that when a person's heart is transformed, their whole life and all their relationships will follow suit. 
To be a Christian is decidedly not to put on appearances as if we have it all together. It is, in fact, the opposite. We can take a cue from our AA brothers and sisters who took their cue from the Christian church to begin with. It is knowing that we do not have it all together, knowing that we desperately need a transformation of the heart, and believing that it is only through our Lord that this transformation can take place. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot transform our hearts and then our, our lives on our own. But we can follow the psalmist's words and seek God with our whole heart. We can invite his Holy Spirit into our lives to shine the light of truth into every darkened corner of our hearts that his spirit in us would cleanse our hearts and our minds. We have a great treasure in that collect for purity which we pray at the beginning of every Eucharistic litur uh, liturgy. The collect for purity is the perfect anecdote to exposing the secret sins of the human heart and to plead God's transforming grace upon them. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. May we trust in the psalmist's words today. Happy are they who observe the decrees of the Lord and seek him with all their hearts. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.